Buongiorno a tutti, per me è una grande emozione introdurre Vittoria Spinel perché eh, non la vedo da una ventina d'anni, noi abbiamo lavorato insieme eh, tantissimi anni fa e Vittoria devo dire ha fatto un percorso pazzesco dal punto di vista eh, politico perché nel 2008 è stata nominata dal presidente Biden eh, eh, a dirigere eh, United States Patent and Trademark Office, che non è proprio come dire, un, un uh, ufficio secondario, e poi è tornata, uh, io l'avevo conosciuta quando era in VSA, è tornata in VSA ed è oggi presidente e amministratore delegato di VSA, che è la Business Software Alliance. Uh, hello Vittoria, how are you? Very glad to be here. So uh, I, I will say, uh, let's switch in English. Uh, I, I will say that for me, it's a great emotion uh, to, to, to have you with us because we met, uh, how many years ago? 25, 30? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, in the meantime, you, had, you, you have had a lot of uh, great position, including the head of uh, United States Patent Trademark Office uh, under the, the um, Obama administration. You are now the um, president and CEO of uh, the Business Software Alliance uh, and also a member, we can tell this, a member of the um, observatory on AI uh, that was created by the Biden administration. So I will say a very uh, important uh, uh, speaker for the Uh, um, U.S. perspective on artificial intelligence. So, uh, with this, I would ask you to tell us what is your perspective on, uh, on the need to regulate uh, uh, artificial intelligence uh, uh, in the States. I mean, in Europe, you, you know, there is a uh, regulation uh, under discussion. Uh, we will see if uh, it, it will be it passed. What is your perspective on... Uh, on the need to regulate artificial intelligence uh, on a regional level and or on a global level. Uh, so, Roberto, thank you so much for inviting me here today. It's, it's wonderful to be part of this. It's wonderful to see you. Um, I only wish I could be there in person, um, but uh, thank you very much for asking me to be part of this conversation. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, BSA, the Business Software Alliance's approach to artificial intelligence. Um, both in the United States, but also around the world. Um, and then uh, at the end, I will talk a little bit um, about <coughs> the advisory committee for President Biden that I sit on. Um, but just to start off as an introduction, um, as Roberto said, I um, we first met, um, I believe when I was in the White House, um, advising President Obama on intellectual property issues. I'm now the CEO of the Business Software Alliance. We are a group that represents the enterprise-facing part of the software industry, the B2B part of the software industry. So our companies develop software and they license it and to and work with other industry sectors. We don't represent um, social media companies or companies that monetize data. Um, our companies are the B2B, the business-to-business -business part of the software industry. We um, work on a variety of issues around the world. A lot of what we do focuses on how governments regulate data. So we have a great team that works on privacy. 
We work on cybersecurity. We spend a lot of time working on how data moves around the world, including uh, the US-EU agreements on data transfers. Um, and we spend a lot of time working on artificial intelligence issues around the world. One of the things that I love about my job is that it is truly global. So we are headquartered in Washington, DC, which is where I'm sitting at this moment, but we have a fantastic team in Brussels uh, that works in Brussels and in some of the member states and the UK. Uh, we have a great team in Asia that is working in India, Tokyo, Singapore, Seoul, um, Australia, the ASEAN countries on uh, these range of issues. And we have a very small uh, office in Brazil. And the reason that we have such a big footprint around the world is because the issues that we work on, including artificial intelligence, are not confined to any one country. And in fact, cannot be technologically. And therefore, I believe in terms of the, the right legal rules and the right policy frameworks also cannot be confined to one country. One of the things that we work on at BSA is trying to uh, on what we call global harmonization, but trying to ensure that countries around the world take a similar approach. Laws won't be identical, nor should they, but that generally speaking, uh, countries are taking a similar approach to regulation where possible. Um, and, and that it is certainly not always possible, um, but that is one of the things that we strive for. So um, let me talk about artificial intelligence specifically. We at BSA have been working on this issue for many years. Um, I would say it's probably been six years now since we went to our companies and said, we are concerned and we know that you are concerned about the risk of bias and discrimination being exacerbated by artificial intelligence. Let's try to work on this together. And at the time, it wasn't about a specific legislation or regulation. It's what can we do? What can our companies do? And what can other companies do to try to reduce the risk of bias and discrimination? And so we worked with our companies very intensely um, on uh, what we ultimately called the BSA framework to combat bias and artificial intelligence, which is lays out very specific practical steps that companies can take to try to reduce the risk of bias in artificial intelligence, whether they are the companies that are developing <coughs> artificial intelligence, the ones creating it, or whether they are the companies that are using artificial intelligence. Um, I would encourage anyone who is interested uh, to take a look at, at it. We released it, I think it's been three years now. Um, we released it with Secretary Raimondo and with um, Executive Vice President Margaret Vestager. Um, because, as I said, this is a this is a global issue, and having the United States and Europe um, as partners with us on this has been very important. And we have continued to evolve that framework and continue to think about what can companies do in order to try to reduce the risk of bias and discrimination in artificial intelligence. Um, we're very uh, we know that this is a question that will never end. Um, and we also know that there are other issues related to artificial intelligence that are becoming more and more prominent. So the um, I, I heard in the intro, ChatGBT was mentioned a few times. Um, I don't, unfortunately, I don't speak Italian, but I'll bet one of the things that was being said is how the public release of ChatGBT has changed 
people's attitudes and thoughts about artificial intelligence. And it's not that artificial intelligence is new. It's not even that the technology behind ChatGBT itself is new, although it is perhaps refined or better. I think what really changed with ChatGBT is that people could use it and interact with it in a way that was very different than any other AI application they had interacted with before. We've all been using AI, well, many of us have been using AI for many, many years. So um, I don't actually use Siri, but Siri uses artificial intelligence. If you are buying products and you are getting recommendations for things that may or may not be of interest to you, it is often artificial intelligence and predictive learning that are making those suggestions to you. There, there are lots of ways um, that artificial intelligence is embedded into our lives already. But in many cases, people don't think of those as artificial intelligence. And ChatGBT was the first application where people thought of it as artificial intelligence and interacted with it and were amazed by what happened. And so there has been this explosion of interest by the general public. Um, but policymakers are also people. And so in the same way that people were excited, scared, intrigued by ChatGBT, policymakers are having the same range of emotions. They are also excited, scared, concerned, intrigued by the promise of ChatGBT. From our perspective, from my perspective, this is a very good thing because, and I'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment, we believe that there should be regulation that applies to artificial intelligence, particularly, but not limited to trying to reduce bias and discrimination. And in many parts of the world, and this is certainly true of the United States Congress, it's very hard to get laws passed. Even laws about which there is a great deal of consensus. But today, because there's so much interest and that interest was largely sparked by ChatGBT. It was there before, but the, it has intensified significantly over the last few months. We are hopeful that that level of interest means that it will be possible to pass legislation with respect to artificial intelligence. And we think that would be enormously beneficial. Um, so let me talk a little bit about what we think that legislation should say. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, and then I'll talk a little bit about sort of what's, what's happening globally. So I'm going to start now by focusing on the United States and what we believe legislation in the United States should do. Um, but as I said, global harmonization is a big part of what we do at BSA. So we would also like to see laws like this passed around the world. Um, so I think my, my number one message in some ways uh, is that we do not believe that we need to wait in order to set rules for artificial intelligence. We do not believe that we should wait to set guardrails for artificial intelligence. This isn't new for BSA or our member companies. As I said before, we have actually been calling on Congress to pass legislation for two years to address concerns about high-risk uses. Um, and we are, at this moment, actively working with a number of leaders, congressional leaders, in the US Congress to help them draft legislation. I said in the beginning that our companies are, we, we represent the enterprise part of the software industry. Our, our members are already helping businesses of all sizes in 
every industry sector to use technology, including artificial intelligence, to create jobs and to grow. But some industries and some businesses can be more reluctant to move forward to adopt new technologies, understandably, if the laws and the responsibilities aren't clear. So we feel very strongly that having strong and workable laws can provide this kind of clarity and will help spread the benefits of artificial intelligence more broadly while reducing some of the risks from artificial intelligence. We believe that having strong national laws can bring greater confidence in the technology, and we think that it's good for business, but it is also good for customers and consumers. Um, let me pause to make an important point. Um, and this is true, I think, of me individually, but also us as an organization. We are very clear that we don't have the answers here. We approach this debate with humility. We know that no one knows, and certainly not us, the full potential positive and negative implications or impacts of artificial intelligence. We know that we don't have all the answers. From the beginning of this process, we have been eager, um, we've been actively seeking feedback on our ideas and eager to incorporate that because the more smart people that we have working on this together, the better. And that includes not just policy experts, but a broad range of people, including people that uh, can speak for and represent those that are sometimes not at the table in policy debates. Artificial intelligence can have a real impact on people's lives. So it's very important that we have a very broad range of stakeholders involved in this discussion and helping us figure out what those rules are so that we can get them as right as we possibly can. We believe that even though we don't know all the risks, that doesn't mean that we should wait in terms of passing legislation. We believe that we can still pass legislation today that will be helpful and that if AI is developed and then deployed responsibly, that that will improve lives but it is that responsible artificial intelligence that should flourish. So um, let me talk a little bit more about bias and discrimination because that has been an issue we've been very focused on. And I think it's a great example of what we're talking about. Discrimination is illegal as it should be and will continue to be. But in the case of AI, there are understandable legitimate concerns that AI systems, if they're being used in consequential decisions, and by that I mean decisions like are you going to get a loan from a bank? Are you going to have access to credit, employment, education, housing? In these areas, we believe there should be extra efforts made to ensure that they are not biased because these are areas that have such a significant consequence in people's lives. So let's pass a law. We want to pass a law that requires companies that are designing or using artificial intelligence for these purposes to do more work to make sure that they are weeding out unintended bias. We also believe this is not a one-time thing. This should be a continuous effort by companies that are creating or using artificial intelligence. Um, let me just talk briefly about uh, our approach globally. Um, we believe that this approach of focusing on high-risk uses, on focusing on consequential decisions and trying to eliminate bias and discrimination is something governments around the world should adopt. Um, as you all are, are very aware, the EU um, has already started moving in this direction. Um, the EU AI Act would set a number of common rules on how we define artificial intelligence, how we identify 
what the high-risk uses of artificial intelligence are, and how companies will assess those risks. The EU AI Act is very far along. It is not done. There's more work that needs to be done on it. But the focus on high-risk uses is very important. And as I, as I said before, in the United States, we are working with policymakers to enact legislation that we hope would take a similar approach to the approach in the EU. Um, some of you may be aware that the G7 recently met, hosted by Japan. Japan has also been a leader in thinking about artificial intelligence um, and the consequences of the, the benefits and the negative impacts of artificial intelligence. Um, at the G7, the leaders issued a statement on the importance of having harmonized laws around the world. Um, they called it the Hiroshima AI process. And we, we are very, uh, very much welcome and, and applaud the G7 leaders for making the statement. The US and the EU, I think, have been working uh, more closely together on artificial intelligence policy than perhaps we've seen on some other policy issues in the past, which is also very welcome. Uh, there's a, a group called the TTC, the Tech and Trade Council, um, where artificial intelligence has been one of the topics that the United States and the EU have been working together. And I, I think that is extremely important. Um, so just to, to finish this section of my remarks, um, as I said at the beginning, clarity and consistency can have great benefits. They will allow the benefits of technology to be spread, but we have to make sure at the same time that we're mitigating those risks through responsible legislation. Um, I'm going to very briefly uh, talk about the work of the uh, the Advisory Committee for the President on Artificial Intelligence. Um, so the acronym is the NIAC, um, which is not a very pretty acronym, but it's an advisory committee of experts set up by President Biden to make recommendations to the president on artificial intelligence. We very recently, I think in fact just uh, a week ago, issued our very first report and set of recommendations to the president. Um, I encourage anyone who is interested to go and read it. Uh, one of the things that we recommended uh, goes exactly, there are many recommendations on the report, but I will, I will focus on one because it's relevant to what we were just talking about, which is encouraging the administration to itself adopt uh, impact assessment to it. The, I mean, to use a less technical term, to encourage the administration to ensure that all the agencies of the U.S. government are themselves taking very detailed steps to try to mitigate bias and discrimination. Um, and we would like to see it uh, go even further and have the government require those that are uh, what we call procurement in the United States, but to require those that are contracting with the U.S. government to also be taking practical, detailed, workable steps to reduce the risk of bias and discrimination. Um, last year, I was, for the first year of the committee, I was the chair of the Trustworthy Artificial Intelligence Working Group. This year, um, I'm very pleased to say I will be chairing the group on international cooperation, which is something that is both near and dear to my heart and, and a big part of my own professional experience. So I, um, I'm very hopeful that in the context of working with the President's Advisory Committee, I can do even more to try to encourage the United States and the EU to be working together, um, as well as other countries around the world. Uh, thank so you. thank you again so much for having me here. It's been just a delight.
Thank you very much, uh, uh, Victoria. I will. To, to conclude this part and to leave the, 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 the floor to Giulio and, and then the panel, uh, um, I want to, to, to say two things about what Victoria just said. The first is, uh, I, I, I'm not surprised, but it is uh, very important that the industry, or, I mean, a voice from the software industry indicate uh, very firmly that we need regulation. And the second element that I would emphasize, and we will be a big item of discussion in our panel, is the bias and, and discrimination. It is a big, big issue. Uh, we have uh, heard from Vittoria, and I know how Vittoria is, is keen uh, on this topic, but I think this should be a topic, not only for, for legislators, but also for, uh, for companies. And with this, and thanking again, Victoria, uh, possibly we will have other occasion. Do not wait other 20 years uh, before uh, e-meeting. E um, Maybe uh, I have a, just, a, just last question before you go. Uh, you mentioned harmonization as a backbone of uh, the global AI strategy. Uh, we heard during the past week that Sam Altman of OpenAI first said that uh, they will not get into Europe if the AI Act is passed as it is now, uh, but then uh, it changes mind. <laughs> How do you think that harmonization can be achieved globally? Because, I mean, uh, it seems that the U.S. approach is more um, uh, lightweighted. The EU approach is uh, more conservative. How do you think we should progress? So I think um, the, the EU has, has moved first in terms of AI regulation, but it is my hope that the United States will not be far behind. And we are we are doing all that we can at BSA to try to encourage the United States to be taking steps that are similar to the EU AI Act. Not, as I said, not identical. Every country in the world doesn't have to have identical legislation. We have different legal systems. Um, but we think the approach that the EU is taking is generally speaking, very positive. Um, I'm a lawyer. Do I have changes that I would make in the EU AI Act? Yes. Are there words that I would change here and there? Yes. Most significantly, do I have some concerns about the, the focus on general purpose AI? Yes. But overall, I think the approach that the EU is taking is a very sound one. And it is very similar to what we are encouraging the United States to adopt as well. So I, I can't speak to Mr. Altman's comments about open AI. Um, I, you know, I don't represent them. Um, but I can tell you that I think there is an a real opportunity for some significant amount of global harmonization. And I think if the United States and the EU came together on an approach that was similar. Again, doesn't need to be identical, but was similar. I think that would be so powerful in terms of an example to other countries. I know that there are other nations around the world that are thinking actively about this issue, but are also looking to the European Union and to the United States to see whether or not those will be useful examples to them. And if the United States and the EU could come together on an approach that was similar, it would be a very, very powerful example. I'm not naive enough to think that all countries in the world will have a similar approach. I think it's fair to say that China, for example, has, has also taken an approach to AI that is different. And I think the, uh, 
I think harmonizing of all nations will be a will, you know will be a, will be a, a twenty year journey, um, perhaps longer. But I do think a substantial amount of harmonization is actually very very possible, and in part because there is so much interest in artificial intelligence. So I feel like if we seize this moment, if the United States and the EU move together, I think there are a number of other governments that would also be some interested in having a similar approach. So I think there's tremendous potential. Thank you very much, uh, Victoria. Thank you uh, again. Yeah, yeah.